Today is November 24th, 2019. Welcome to Common Ground. The sermon series we are in is called D and Reconstructing Faith, The Essentials of Holistic Faith. This sermon is called The Process of Reconstructing Faith. And the speaker is Chris Romine. Enjoy. So this is out of 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. This is the first, uh, sorry, these are the last uh, words that Paul says to the church in Corinth uh, in his first letter. It's actually his second letter, but, uh, but they grouped them together. Uh, Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child. But now that I have become a man, or now that I've become an adult, I've put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I've been completely known. Now faith, hope, and love remain, these three things, and the greatest of these is love. Uh, Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you have joined us at all the last 10 weeks, we have spent the whole fall talking about a series uh, called D and Reconstructing Faith, The Essentials of Holistic Faith. And this is the final installation, and luckily we have recorded eight of ten sermons, and are now, they're now going to the website. Thank you, Caroline, for pushing that. And so they will, they will be up there shortly. You can go back and listen to them. But effectively, here's the tea leaves we were reading at the end of the summer. There has been a meta-narrative that's in Common Ground that maybe doesn't speak for all of Common Ground, maybe speaks for 80% of it, not, not, uh, not 100, but of folks who have just had these intuitions, these stirrings that perhaps the way that faith has been articulated to them in the past is uh, breaking down. Uh, It's either not very intellectual or probably more important and pertinent to today's text, not very loving. Um, And so these breakdowns have stirred and perhaps some leaders have said, stop thinking that way. Uh, And you have either stopped thinking that way, uh, turned your heart off, turned turned your brain off, turned all the things off and submitted in the name of unity, or, and or, you've found your way out of that vicious, vicious place. So, what we thought was, well, there's a number of topics that people rose to the surface in the summer, like, what, is there a heaven and hell? Uh, Because we've been told it's very, very clear. Um, And then you go to the Bible and you find it's anything but clear. Uh, People who use the Bible as uh, clarity towards something that's only said about seven times and said not at all in a couple of the Gospels by Jesus, I think we need to wrestle a little bit more with this idea of what a literal heaven or hell elsewhere is and how conversionism affects it and then how we evangelize and then how we read the Bible and then the death and the bad news of a purity culture that has made us hate our bodies and carry extreme shame and trauma either because of our orientation or because the way we've been asked to be pure by people who haven't been pure the same ways with their body. So we've walked through a number of things, uh, and I invite you back to those conversations because I don't have time to summarize all of them today. What I do have to do, though, is walk through a little bit of what 
Rob, uh, Rob Williams helped us get through in the middle of the sermon, uh, sorry, in the series. Uh, Rob paralleled our deconstructing process with a book called The Critical Journey, which walks through about six stages of a deconstructing and reconstructing faith. What Rob was able to tell us each time we talked about a subject was it is completely normal to ask questions about your faith. In fact, it's encouraged. In fact, it's everywhere in scripture for all the people who are people of faith that we think held up their faith so strongly in scripture are actually people who doubted over and over again, uh, made fools of themselves with the things that they said, uh, made an example out of the wrong things to do in the name of love. And so I think if we're honest, we really need to wrestle with some of the themes that have been handed to us because a lot of the, um, uh, a lot of the arguments that we make we haven't really sat down and thought about them all the way through, right? Like, it's, that's the point of a deconstructing faith. It's the invitation to actually think more thoughtfully about them. So Rob walked through these six stages, and the last one, after we get past that beautiful wall between fourth and, fourth and fifth um, uh, process, which is, I would say, probably where most of Common Ground sits, between four and five, that six, you can't read it that well, but that six is the life of love. Uh, that you go into uh, reflecting the love of God and that that ultimately is what shoots us out into a more um, diverse and thought-provoking and wide faith. And so we got all, all the way through that. Uh, we kind of hit a number of topics and I wrote a bunch of so you've heard it said and then but perhaps considers. And I'm not going to go all the way through them, but maybe for one example is you, so you've heard it said as it pertains to the Bible, the Bible gives you all the right answers, don't question it, it speaks for itself. But perhaps consider if the Bible stops sounding like a love story and more like a weapon to exclude, abandon that version of the Bible. If one's translation feels unloving, it probably is. Confront, interrogate, and reconsider those translations until the Bible includes all because grace is brave Legalism is damn fragile. Choose love. Maybe another one. Uh, yeah, we don't need to go through that one. Okay, we'll go through that one. <laughs> heaven, hell, but you have to go back and listen to the message, okay? Heaven, hell, and all the wrong questions. So you've heard it said, eternal damnation elsewhere awaits you without praying the prayer. But if you pray it, you're good. This is the greatest story ever told. The Bible is clear. Perhaps consider that Jesus said almost nothing about heaven and hell besides metaphorically in places like here and now, like this valley is a terrible place. Look at what your life is going to end up if you keep pursuing it, this valley of Gehenna, which we now translate to hell. We may be obsessed with the wrong things and the wrong time. People are living in hell right now this very moment. Invest in the things that bring liberation now, and you will have done your part as a lover on earth. Trade out the anxious fear of what's to come. Live in love now. We'll be posting these out on our blogs and whatnot, but I want to bring you back. So what does it look to reconstruct? What does it look to process your faith at the end of a 10-week cycle? I've been intrigued by the sorts of conversations that take place in Common Ground. What I've noticed is that, again, for a large majority, people have been handed a narrative that is narrow. Now, some people come with trauma through that narrative, either trauma that's been used against that person because of how they, ident they identify, or trauma from a friend or a loved one who hit a glass ceiling at a church that they didn't realize was there until they tried to step into leadership or tried to join a small group 
perhaps a married small group, something to that effect. And so we brought this kind of angst to common ground. And if there's one thing that I actually recognize is angst. If any of you have gotten to know me at all, you know that I am quick to be a bit fiery, a bit ornery, a bit a little uh, too direct. Would you say that, Jill? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, but I, I think it's been an interesting development that we've had the last couple months. We've taken 10 weeks to process things that have been harmful to us, and yet we still show up to common ground week in and week out. We're still generous with our time and our resources and our skills and our talents. We still want to be part of community. We still want to ask questions and not settle for simple answers. So there's still something there within us that has caused us to not give up on this institution. This institution that, again, has been harmful for many, but also has been salvific for most of us in this room. I would say if it's been only bad news for us, we probably wouldn't be here right now. So something of church gathering has been meaningful to every single person that sits in the pews here. But we worry about getting behind a place that may have some hidden trap doors or glass ceilings like the places that we came from. So what does it look to reconstruct your faith? Well, I think first and foremost, I don't want to present an idea, and neither would Rob, and I encourage you to go back to the sermons and listen to them. I do not want to present an idea that faith is progress, right? We don't start at zero and travel to 10, and 10 means that we are like the most faithful, and we're like, we've got like God muscles, and we figured it out. No, in fact, I think a number of those tropes break down, and we confronted that in the Job story a couple weeks when Job was faithful and righteous in all that Job did, and God straight up used him as an example, took his family, took his children, took his land, put boils all over his body, and we're supposed to follow this God, this God that's apparently just, this God that's apparently fair. If I'm going to get behind this God, is this God actually going to do anything good for me? Because there's a lot of stuff that's hitting the fan right now. And I think that all of us can probably relate to that in our faith. Uh, moments when we've wondered, where is God? I want to put that squarely inside the process of deconstructing or reconstructing faith because I don't think that you need to be in a particular stage to ask that question. And yet the Bible over and over again calls us to something, calls us to one meta-narrative over and over again. I'll give you a hint. It's a bold word somewhere. What do you think the Bible calls us to over and over again? Love one another. Love one another. Right. So... I, I, I recently got an Instagram, I get a lot of Instagram hate, um, it's, it's fun, uh, don't worry, I throw it back, um, but, but I got some Instagram hate uh, last week, someone said, your church is not biblical, uh, I said, neither is Jesus, uh, and this person, I don't know their pronouns, uh, a calm day, said, uh, well, Jesus was always following the Bible, and I said, I would reread Jesus. Uh, because every moment that people who knew the Bible really, really well were confronting Jesus, Jesus went the opposite direction of where they expected him to go, and ultimately he ended up on a cross because love is messy and love is complex, and love includes people, our institutions and our organizations we're so used to excluding. Love is, or sorry, uh, love is so used to including uh, identities that were not reconciled with an orderly faith or a straightforward church or 
an institution, blah, 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 blah. We have to look at the fact that the organizations that we have gathered together have set rules that have been partial towards normative culture, whether it be whiteness, cisness, heteronormativity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We go all the way down, education, status, et cetera. Uh, and we have done this same thing in the church, all in the name of the Bible, of course. Jesus comes onto the scene and jacks that whole thing up. Jesus walks straight into Samaria where Jesus is not supposed to go. Jesus talks to a woman at a well. Her entire family uh, or her entire village had uh, dismissed her for her past. She's one of the only people that Jesus spoke plainly to in that gospel about who he was. So he privileged her and the truth of who he was based on an identity that otherwise the world and people who are religious rejected. So there's something to common ground when we say, well, I don't know where the rules are. Let's just like rip all of them apart. Let's make it extremely messy. Let's let every single identity or every single view or every single person have some kind of play in shaping this community. And let's see what the Holy Spirit does amongst us because we think that when Jesus walks into places, Jesus jacks up the socioeconomic and sociopolitical hierarchies of that place in the name of the very love that we claim to be bringing to that place. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, after just crushing the Corinthian church for 13 chapters, gets to the end and says, guys, y'all are getting it wrong. If you remember what we talked about the purpose of the church was a couple weeks ago, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, some of y'all are eating and others aren't. Some of y'all are getting drunk and others aren't even drinking. Paul's point was, listen, everybody gets drunk or nobody gets drunk. But if the hierarchies of outside in Corinth are playing out in the place where you gather around the table to celebrate a blood and a, blood and a body that broke for all, you might as well not gather whatsoever is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Don't even gather, don't even do it because you have missed the point of what Jesus is doing in this world. So when Paul ends 1 Corinthians 13 and he goes, now faith, hope, and love remain, these things and the greatest of these is love, I think Paul really means it. And I think the preface of Paul is we can only see a tiny bit. The best that we can say, and Paul was a rhetorician at his finest. He was a legalist. He was a, like, think of a lawyer talking to you about a law. That's what Paul was doing as he wrote these. He was still saying, we have but a reflection in the mirror. We can only know partially. Those of you who love prophecies, guess what? They're coming to an end. Those of you who speak in tongues, those tongues are going to stop. For those of you who think knowledge is the thing and that knowledge puffs up, that too would be brought to an end. And we know that only part of the prophecy that we have is told. But what can we lean on, Christian? Love. Common ground has gone through a developmental phase, I would say, the last couple of months. We have hit a number of topics that have been hot, that by and large, uh, churches, uh, some churches that some folks in Common Ground have fallen out of refuse to touch with a 10-foot pole from the pulpit. Now, leaving that aside, I think we're actually pivoting out of the sort of uh, naming of the narrowness of faith 
but pivoting into the very thing that Christianity was always supposed to be about, which was a generous, a grace-filled, and an expansive love that holds mystery and liberation and good news for every single person that is amongst a person who says that they follow Jesus Christ as the Lord. Amen? Lance last week taught about Jesus the Christ. What do we think we know? What, what, what are we saying when we say the word Christ? What are we saying when we say the word Lord? This is jargon that by and large, we even Christians don't even know what we're really saying when we say these things. And Lance drawing on a giant theological uh, tradition of which he named about 10 theologians, both past and present and some from scripture, that Jesus is not the end. Like we don't find Jesus or Jesus finds us and then we wrap up our faith. This parallels well with what Doug Padgett said a couple of months when he came here, a couple of months ago when he came here in August. His book sitting back there, you can buy it for common ground. He said that, he, drawing on the words of John, Jesus said, the people who follow me are going to do far more interesting things than I'm ever going to do. Right? We really need to wrestle with the idea that the very thing, the very God that we say is God of all things, God of all creation, is inviting us to do more interesting things than he himself did. Not least promising us resurrection. Not least promising peace. And not least compelling us forward over and over again to do two things. Because as legalistic as we can, do, as we can be, God invites us into two things. Loving God and loving neighbor as yourself. All of the commandments, this child of God, this Lord, this King of Kings, this word that we say, Jesus Christ, not a last name, but a Christ. All the things that Jesus came in the name of and the spirit of is reduced to two things, loving God, loving neighbor. We must be careful not to choose who our neighbor is. If there's anything that Mr. Rogers has shown us, seriously, it's that we should be honored with those folks that sit in our midst because now they are siblings of the body of Christ with us. Let us not build a church that profits on whiteness, that profits and privileges the folks who make more money than the folks who make less. Let us not build a church that profits folks who identify as cis over folks who don't. If we as Christians care more about telling someone that their parts should be recognizable to their pronouns than the fact that the highest suicide rate in New York City and homelessness population are folks that are identifying as queer because they've been pushed out by their family. I would not say that that's very loving, Christian. Faith, hope, and love must remain. And the greatest of these is love. Let common ground not be a place that is highly intellectual or credentialized. There's a lot of people who have read a lot in common ground's midst, not least me. And I can sometimes defend, or sorry, rely on the intellectualizing of faith. This is both a strength that God has given me and an extreme weakness when applied the wrong way, as it is often. We can easily step out of this deconstructing and reconstructing faith series and just think that this place offers better answers than the place that we came from, and therefore we're on a better track. 
you will find that if you transfer out of a church that is narrow into a church that's wider like this, you tend to lose all your friends. So tell me if that feels like a really good track, number one. But number two, you'll probably step into some disorientation and wonder about what exactly God is doing in your life if the very people who you've relied so heavily on and the very theology that you've depended on your whole life now comes crumbling down. As Sarah said, that Jericho time. We walk around the walls of our faith waiting for God to give us a word. And when that word comes and we realize that we have narrowed our idea of love and God wants to break open our heart and our experiences, let us break open our heart and our experiences. Let us open the doors. Let us widen the table. Let us listen and learn and repent for the ways that we have excluded and let love remain because if we don't have love, what do we have, Christian? There can be a great interest in intellectualizing the faith when you come out of a space that is anti-intellectual. Let me define that word very carefully. Uh, The world was not built in six days with God resting on the seventh uh, to any of the scientific community. Uh, But if you read the Bible literally on that first couple chapters, then the world was made in six days. And everything's going to stare us in the face and tell us that it's not, and we're going to have to do something about it. When the soft sciences say that actually a church is really good and a certain chord crescendo is good at releasing dopamine in your brain and you can really connect that to an experience with God, that perhaps it's just the dopamine. (laughs) My point is, if we step out of this, Carl Rios uh, uh, is on vacation today, but he was going to say today, he said, I don't know what it's like to have childlike faith anymore because I grew up. I've moved past the moments where reckless abandon has broken my life open, and I haven't lost my faith in God. This is almost a direct quote. I have not lost my faith in God, but it has matured. And now I see the complexity of faith, the way that Job introduces me to a complex God God that does not make evil and good easy categories to figure out from the human gaze. So what do I lean on? I lean on love. And I lean on community. Carlos Rios says it better than, than I could. I would invite you out of this series in closing to lean deeply into a well of love that maybe you knew the bounds of And God is now inviting you deeper into it. I invite you out of a place that builds categories and walls and limitations on your friends or people who you know based on their identities. And into a faith that might confuse you because someone thinks differently than you. And I invite you out of a simple faith. All of this requires love. I don't often talk about myself, so I included this story. Has anyone seen the movie Crash? Yeah. What we see in movies like Crash, what we learn from a family like Jill's, who come from the Jewish diaspora, is that trauma gets handed down from generation to generation to generation. 
that narratives of what we think is the good life get handed to us more than us sitting often and deciding, this is really how I want my life to be. Now, if we can accept the fact that much of what we've internalized about who God is, where God is, and how big that God is comes from an external source, we actually might have some fun reclaiming or claiming maybe for the first time what God looks like here at Common Ground. The very first sermon I wrote was that we have an opportunity to write our own, sorry, in this series, was that we have an opportunity to write our own Bible. That can sound like really heretical language. It is. I mean, go to a megachurch pastor, ask him what he thinks about the Bible, he'll let you know, and then he'll be preaching about it for two years. I would love for you to tell me what you think about the Bible. Because I think my idea of love and grace and inclusion will be broken open by your story. And that from that, maybe trauma will get healed. Maybe narratives will be rebuilt. Maybe evil will become a little more complex and in us will grow a little bit more grace. How does the song go? All we need is love. <clears throat> Let's try this. All we need is love. All we need is love. All we need is love. Love is all we need. One more time. All we need is love. All we need is love. Love is all we need. Friends, faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest of these things is love. Let us be a people that are seen and heard and known for how boldly, how heretically, how subversively we love the people around us. And let that be our story. Amen? Amen. Well, Jesus knew this. On the night that Jesus was betray betrayed, Jesus was sitting with friends, uh, just a few, two that would betray, uh, and ten that would go into hiding uh, at the sight of him on a cross. The empire came down hard on Jesus. We see how fragile the empire is when you submit a subversive love. We see to what ends violence will be perpetrated on a human when that human simply talks to people who have been rejected by society and calls them mutual subjects. And Jesus did this, and Jesus, a terrible brand manager, a, ter <laughs> a, a terrible community organizer, but a really good friend, stuck to the friends that he had even to his last moment. This moment that would show us the covenant that God with us has made so that we are not left behind, so that we are reminded that love remains. This is a table that Common Ground will come to every Sunday. The last thing that we will do as inspiration is shared is we will eat and drink of this cup. Mm -hmm.